Welcome, guys, to the Recovering Reality Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fredrickson. We are honored that we could be a part of your recovery journey and encourage you and help you in any way possible. Before you enjoy this awesome podcast, we also just want to let you know there is a whole bunch of free resources that you can find on our website at recoveringreality.com. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Recovering Reality Podcast. Thank you for joining again today. I'm excited. We've got another guest on. We've had some pretty incredible stories recently, and this one is uh, just as awesome. We have, I have a new friend on here, Doctor of Pharmacy Jeff Simone. Is that, did I say the title right? You said that right. What's up, Eric? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm excited you're on today, man. You got, a, you got an awesome story. I'm excited to hear a little bit more of it, and I love that uh, you're open about it because not everybody is, and you know, where your position is in the community and what you've been through now. And so I'm excited, man, to hear more about it and let others get some hope from it as well, man. Yeah. Yeah, dude. So go ahead. Why don't you dive in, man, and take us on a little journey with you about uh, your story of uh, sure. addiction to recovery. Sure. You know, of course, you know, um, first, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I've, I've looked through your website. You know, I follow you on social media, of course, and, and I'm really on board with what you're doing. You know, I, I feel like our perspectives on recovery seem to be pretty aligned. Um, you're in Ohio. I'm in the Philadelphia area. We're both in areas that have been absolutely crushed by the drug epidemic, and I think ultimately it will be won by having as many good people on the front lines as possible. Yeah, I would I would agree. So 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 thank you first of all, and um, yeah, it is it is true. The more I completely respect someone's decision to be anonymous. I, I get it. But mm. this is not a time. This is not a window of time in society to be anonymous. There's the more vocal we can be about it, the more people are going to, going to get help, man. And it is true. It's this little Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania kind of area is mm. it's ground zero, man. Literally. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, um, thanks for the work you're doing as well, man. You know, for me, um, as far as my background, I, I'd have, you know, relatively unremarkable childhood. I grew up in the Philadelphia suburbs. I went to a good high school, did pretty well in school, didn't even really get into drugs until I was probably about 19 or 20, you know, so relative to a lot of the guys I talked to, I, I was a little bit of a late bloomer in that area. Um, you know, a friend of mine had a, uh, you know, a bottle of five gram Vicodin, you know, I took one of those and, and that little white tablet opened up doors and it took me about 13 years to close. Um, and, and, and that's just sort of how it started. It, it was, it was, it was love at first sight is what it was. Um, I had that classic overreaction of a future opiate addict, you know, non-opiate addicts don't have that experience. You know, they will get tired, maybe itchy, nauseous, you know, and, and, and overall that feeling of being drugged isn't something that they prefer to, seek out again, you know, not so for the future opiate addict, you know, which is why I do believe that, you know, specifically opiate addiction, okay, I believe that it will always stem from some kind of baseline endorphin deficiency, you know, I, I think that only someone who is already endorphin deficient could get that type of strong response to an opiate, uh, you know, because the, although there's no way for the person to compare himself to another, I believe that much of what I was experiencing 
was the unbelievable relief from the removal of negative emotions rather than uh, from the euphoria of the positive ones, you know. Wow. Which, I can – let me just say this. I can tell I'm already going to thoroughly enjoy our conversation. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I can – I just want to say this, too. I, I can – completely relate because that's how so much of the insanity opened up in my life but also that pete that this, the thing you mentioned about how some people take painkillers and it makes them sick and they don't want to like they hate it most other people yeah, take most. it and they're like oh dear lord this is mm. the magic ticket to everything life-changing exactly that's a good yeah. point you make man which which by the way is the opposite of what we see in in a pure alcohol addiction you know future alcohol addicts alcoholics will almost across the board have a lesser response in terms of intoxication, at least, you know, than the non-alcoholic. All right. So you take mm-hmm. three, you take three 19 year olds that have never done much drinking. Um, and you have two non-alcoholic, you know, they will not go on to become alcoholics. One will, and you give them all 40 ounces of malt liquor, the two non-alcoholics, you know, they'll be stumbling, slurring their words, maybe throwing up, and that future alcoholic is going to be looking around, where's that next bottle coming from? Right. Um, uh, so that's the difference. Now, that reverses at the end stages when his body can't process alcohol adequately, you know, because of end organ damage. But in the beginning, they can always drink more. So um, anyway, so I took that Vicodin, and it was an instant love affair. You know, I, I speak a lot at these, um, these rehabs and, and, and detoxes, and I'll, and I'll share that. You know, I'll share that it was a 13-year toxic love affair that's how long my lasted 13 13 years yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i'll and i'll just see everybody sort of nodding their heads you know and that's one of those things like if you were to say that so you were opiates also i i didn't even ask you that before but i was everything i didn't yeah, well, yeah but that was but it was your... always alcohol and pills yeah mm-hmm. okay okay you know you say you make a comment to that to, to somebody who doesn't have experience with drug or alcohol addiction you talk about it as a love affair. You know, they're going to look at you like you're, you know, a love affair. I mean, this thing took everything from you and it, and, right. it, and it bankrupted your life. How are you going to possibly refer to it? You know, but I'll share that to a room full of, you know, either detoxers or guys that have a couple of weeks in rehab and everybody's just kind of nodding along. Like, you know, that, that is why it is so difficult to recover from this stuff. You know, it is not that, it is not just that our brains think, drugs bad get drugs out of here you know there's there's a strong part that's just connected to this stuff like it's some kind of you know uh, absolutely necessary attachment for life and 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 it's hard stuff to get over really is it it is man it is you're describing it well too so i mean so so paint paint the picture a little bit so so the you know you you took the five milligram milligram vicodin it opened your world up to a uh, poisonous love affair if that's the right way to put it and yes and uh, where did where did that addiction take you to man you know so now i'm about uh you know i'm maybe 22 years old and you know i'm trying to figure something else out to do so i decided to go to pharmacy school um you know that seemed like a responsible thing to do at the moment you know it's, <laughs> so it's funny um <laughs> so many people have asked me this question, and I just got asked it a couple of days ago. Somebody asked me um, why I chose pharmacy school, and I said, "Well, I was really good at math and science, and I loved oxycontin." <laughs> and yeah, that, that was, was the next thing I was going to say. I was like, "You just got hot from the first time, and then 
either maybe partially subconsciously, but maybe more directly, you're like, well, I should probably be around these pills more and I should be a pharmacy. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's as truthful an answer that I've ever given to that question. I will say I, I never had any intention of continuing drug use into school or into my practice. I, I, can, I, so I can so clearly remember every birthday I, I would make the same wish, you know, please next year when I'm blowing out these candles, let me be done with all this. Um, you know, and then like the next year will come and I wasn't, and then I would make that same wish for the next year. And that went on for what felt like forever, you know? Um, so I did four years of pharmacy school. The habit progressed. Um, you know, at this point it was, it was getting to be during the day, you know, so I was taking it just so that I wouldn't be sick. Um, mm-hmm. you know, then I was too tired during the day. So I started taking, you know, Adderall to kind of keep me up and keep my performance going. Uh, yeah, but then I you know, might take a little bit too much of that and I couldn't sleep. So I started getting into, you know, benzos, uh, like different tranquilizers to help me sleep at night. And that was the cycle. You know, that ended up being for the next you know, 10 years or so, it was kind of some rotation of all those things. And, uh, um, you know, that was, that was my life. Um, I ended up graduating. I moved out to Santa Monica with my fiance, who, who's, who's now my wife, um, I started dating my wife. She was 19. I was 20. Um, I'll be turning 37 next week. And, you know, so I've been with her for the last 17 years. I, I say awesome. if there's anything, if there's anything uh, remarkable about my story, you know, the rest of it is a pretty kind of classic drug progression, you know, but it's the fact that I somehow kept that relationship together, which, which first of all says more about her than it does about me. But, I'm absolutely convinced that if it weren't for that woman, I, I, I would be, I would be dead right now. You know, so we moved out to Santa Monica. We kind of wanted a, a uh, you know, just a, just a break. You know, we figured we didn't have any kids. We're making some money now. We're working. We can really go anywhere. Both of us had jobs that we could kind of move around. Um, you know, I started managing some pretty large pharmacies in Southern California. I was making a lot of money. I was spending money like I was making three times what I was making and uh, just basically living a very gluttonous, hedonistic lifestyle is what it was. All in all. I mean, it was, uh, um, that was my life for about six years in there. Um, You're you're in LA now mm -hmm. and in the midst of every day, all day, it's painkillers, benzos and Adderall and overseeing multiple different pharmacies. Correct. Not, that's not everybody's story. <laughs> no, no, yeah, it's not. It's, it's definitely not, man, but I so appreciate you being open and honest about it because as we know, addiction doesn't discriminate. Addiction can care less if you're smart, have a high IQ, a low IQ, if you're rich, poor, what color your skin is, what gender you are, it, addiction could care less. Um, yeah, it'll, jail. It'll hit him. that's it. That's it, man. Um, wow. So, so there you are, man, with a very good job. Uh, beautiful Southern California. I lived in San Diego for ten years. It is, it is mm. nice down there. Uh-huh. Oh, it is. You know. So, so I'll, you know, I'll, I'll fast forward to a couple of those working years there. Um, in in so 2013. Uh, I'll just you know, in 2013. This is this is uh, eight years into an opiate addiction or so. In nine years. Mm-hmm. Um, my oxycodone habit was almost 1,200 milligrams per day. That's uh, a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was taking about 100 milligrams of Adderall per day at that point. 
you know, which if you're if you're familiar with that product, um, you know, a lot of people have 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 had some type of experience with Adderall or, or some of the stimulants, and and at these type of doses, it really starts to act more like methamphetamine even than amphetamine. Um, right. A lot of those, yeah, a lot of those like amphetamine induced psychotic type of symptoms, you know, just, just, just the real, like, erratic behavior, the strange, like, rages. I, w- I would get real angry at times. I would break things in the house once in a while. That it would seem like it would get triggered from out of nowhere. I mean, it, it was that drug, man. Um, now, incidentally, I will say that after I got sober, the longest obsession to leave <laughs> was the amphetamines. Um, wow. But I still think of that as just one of the – I mean, I – I have, uh, you know, some very, very bad memories with that drug, you know, just in general. But, but, but just the idea that I could live my life with energy and enthusiasm and motivation without it, man, that took a long time to go away. You know, I, I, I really saw that as a performance enhancer, not just work, just a, a, a life performance enhancer, that, I, that it just made me better at everything. Um, right. And it made me a better version of myself, you know, which, uh, yeah, which is the exact opposite of the truth, by the way. <laughs> it is. It's the truth. And, and I'll say this, you know, so Adderall had come on the scene a little. So I got clean and sober in um, 2009, but it had already come on the scene for a little bit, even when I was mm-hmm. in high school and stuff. And um, I never really got into it too much. I did yeah. obviously took it more, definitely more than once or a couple of times. But I remember once or twice taking, you know, heavy doses and and I never really got into meth either but I did do that at least a few times and I remember doing meth later on down the road just you know a few times or whatever and I was like it's it's almost the same you take enough Adderall and it is as much of a narcotic as anything on the whole planet absolutely Mm -hmm. it absolutely is um so yeah so at this point um things were bad okay things were very bad in this in this moment of uh you know, either a moment of clarity or a moment of stupidity, however you want to interpret this. I, <laughs> I, I ended up disclosing to my employer what was going on. You know, I, not, not 100%, but enough that I, you know, cause this is, is, is what was happening. All right, so they, um, they were obligated to contact the Board of Pharmacy. I was, I was mandated to do 90 days inpatient rehab, okay, um, which I virtually did cold turkey. Um, you know, they gave me tranquilizers for a couple of days, but, but I was coming off of a 10 year, you know, like I said, huge oxycodone habit among other things. Um, and that experience was one that I could, I can never describe it to somebody who hasn't been through something like that. Um, that's a heavy dose, man, to be coming off of cold Turkey. I'm sure that was not fun at all. I didn't realize that a human body could suffer that badly. You know, physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, just the absolute worst could imagine myself feeling, and all three of those components were happening simultaneously. Right. Uh, um, now, you know, that being said, I believe that every single second of that was necessary. You know, I, I believe that if you want to get to the promised land, you know, that we all have to do our desert time. Um, uh, now, I, I, I did not stay sober after this point, but, but that was, I mean, that was certainly part of my desert time. And I think about that experience, you know, those 90 days uh, in this house. I think about that a lot. Um, and that was, I mean, that was, you know, and again, 
remembering how painful it was wasn't enough for me to go back, but I have that experience burnt into my memory. Like this is, this is what is possible. You know, this is the type of suffering that is available should I sort of veer off my path or, or you know. Um, uh, so I didn't stay sober, but I was introduced to a 12-step program in the area, okay, this um, – in still West in LA. Santa Monica. Still West in LA. LA still, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, now, I believe, you know, I have not seen recovery everywhere. I've seen it in, you know, certain patches of the country. And, um, but I believe West LA has some of the best recovery in the world. Um, it, it's it was, Southern California in general, man. It's, Southern it's California true. San Diego is awesome. Orange, it's, it's, you're, you're correct about that. It's everywhere, and it's people that have really good recovery. Mm-hmm. It's just even thinking back on it, I, I mean, it's just so much enthusiasm and positivity, and 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 you know, people doing different things and open to new suggestions. Um, like I said, I didn't stay sober, and I moved back east, you know, but I'm forever indebted to that initial experience uh, right. of sobriety. You know, those guys that I latched onto were these guys were into recovery, okay, not just sobriety, you know, but recovery. Um, Head to toe recovery. They talked about the importance of, of changing your habits and that it all matters. You know, how you're sleeping, what you're eating, what books you're reading. Are you exercising? Who are you spending your time with? You know, what, like, who's the company you keep? Um, right. They had me read, you know, some of those, uh, they're very kind of big on books too. And, and I read some of that, you know, the 12 step history books. I read, I read Dr. Bob and the little timers. Okay, so there's a line in, in, in AA specifically, you know, it says, rarely have we seen a person fail that has thoroughly followed our path. Okay, so, mm-hmm. so what they're talking about, you know, um, the first 12-step group, AA started in 1935. The big book was written in 1939. So like like 45 minutes from where I live. It, yeah, is that right? Akron, yeah. Akron's right there, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, so the question is, well, what were they doing? Well, this book talks about that. And, and if you read this book, it says the three books that these guys found absolutely essential were the Sermon on the Mount, okay, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, mm-hmm. um, 13th chapter of the Corinthians, and the book of James. Um, so much so, and they were so into the book of James. Do you know that AA was almost called the James Gang? I do remember that because I've yeah. read that book that you mentioned, but it's been so long. Yeah, I read so, a lot of those books because they do recommend all that stuff in Southern California, like um, Chuck C. A new pair of glasses. Chuck C. Oh, great book! Old, great book. Yeah, it is. He refers to the carpenter in that book. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. He calls him the carpenter. That's right. That's, uh-huh. so, so yeah, that's awesome, man. So this New Testament stuff is just shot right through addiction treatment. I mean, up to this very day, you know, they didn't they didn't make this crap up. I guess is my. Um, mm-hmm. Now, what they made up, what these guys made up, you know, was the one sufferer talking to another uh, to help him reduce his feelings of difference so he might take some actions to, to, to save his life. But uh, all this stuff has been around, you know. You know it, it, we're just kind of putting the spiritual component into addiction recovery over the last maybe 75 years or so. But, um, but I read all this stuff, you know, Man's Search for Meeting, The Four Agreements, Power Versus Force, just some – I was really pounded – with spirituality component, and thank God I did because when you get an arrogant, know-it-all, you know, brimming with intellectual pride guy like me, man, that crap can keep a lot of people from getting better. Um, and I mean, just look, they look. See, that's why I I, I latched onto that stuff right away too, you know, because I I was I was 
you know, 29, 30 years old getting exposed to this for the first time. And I know what my history looked like before that. I, I, I mean, I, you know, at age 30, I pretty much had the world figured out. And I pretty much knew about as much as a person could know about anything. Um, so the fact that you take that guy, okay, this, this you know, lifelong, closed-minded know-it-all, and that I was open to some of these ideas that were so against my natural thinking. I mean, how can you explain that other than it's a miracle? Right. Exactly you right. Know, but how, could, how else can you possibly explain that? Um, you know, because I lived myself for 30 years, so I know exactly how I respond to stuff. But anyway, so my sponsor, my, my first sponsor at that time, he had stressed the importance of a morning routine. You know, as soon as you wake up, reading a few pages of something, saying a few prayers, just, 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 you know, quieting the mind. That was, that was my foundation. Um, that morning time is essential, man. It's oh, it's so big. I'm so with it, dude. I'm up most pretty much every morning. I'm up before the sun and everybody else with my, with my, with my Bible and my journal and praying. And it, mm. it's, it's vital, man. Get, get your feet on firm ground before the day even comes at you. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Um, you know, so I ended up leaving this place. I got back into a pharmacy as, as you know, quickly as I could. Um, I was, I was, I was ready to prove to the world that I was better. Um, and and you know, I did great for like a day, or maybe two days. <laughs> I, I swear it was one or two days. Um, and then I got right back into my old stuff. Uh, you know, since I was on, I was on probation with the board of pharmacy at this time. I, I was, I was being drug tested every couple of days, and. Uh, um, you know, I was able to fake that for a little while. Um, and then one day I ended up getting called in you know, to get a sample. I, I, I had to wait there like a little too long. I gave them the cold urine, um, you know, which means that you fail the test. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was, I was basically forced to turn in my, my California license. Um, at that point, you know, that kicked off the the craziest year of my life, you know, because now I, was, they had, I didn't have access, you know, so I had to get stuff elsewhere. And uh, somewhere in that time, my wife got pregnant. We decided to move back east. Um, you know, I couldn't afford L.A. without uh, my income at that time. Dude, nobody can afford L.A. <laughs> even even with the two, it was, it was, oh it was very gosh. hard. You're exactly yeah. right. <laughs> um, yeah, so my son was born, and, and for a few months I was, I was still doing some of, of the same stuff until it got to the point where, I wasn't able to hold him and read him a book at night without crying. Okay. That's, that's the point of God. I remember this thought so, so clearly. I remember sitting there thinking, man, there, there are you know, three and a half billion men on this planet. And this poor guy got stuck with me, you know, just oh, got man. stuck with a, with a loser junkie who doesn't deserve to be on planet earth. Um, I remember those thoughts so so clearly. Uh, wow! Thank you for for being real about that because there's so many people. Well, you and I know, but there's so many people that struggle with addiction who they like it just and the shame, the guilt, the regret, the discouragement is just like it's so heavy. It's like the only mental appetite. It's the only thing on the menu in most people's minds, and it's um fact that you've overcome it is is powerful man but this i'm glad you mentioned that because not a lot of people want to talk about that part but it's very very real and prevalent in people who struggle with addiction yeah yeah no that was that was uh that was you know i was i was 35 pounds heavier 
my skin was like a weird grayish color. I, I, I like pitting edema in my ankles and my wrists. If I, if I pressed on my wrist, it would take a second for the skin to spring back up. My, you know, my kidneys were holding on the fluids. I couldn't twist my, my ring off my fingers. Uh, my liver numbers were through the roof. It, it was, it was as bad as I could have imagined my life getting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. um, so at that point, you know, my, my cousin knew a guy, uh, he had 20 some years sober and I don't, I don't recall if, if he called me and I answered or if somebody gave me his number and I called him. Both of those scenarios seem equally unlikely to have happened. Um, I can't imagine calling anybody cause I didn't want to talk to anybody and I can't imagine answering an unknown phone call. Uh, but somehow I got, I got paired up with this guy. He started, you know, bringing me around to, to his little like recovery community, um, and yeah, this time I my detox wasn't quite as bad. My detox right there in in those rooms in in those twelve step rooms. This was a 2016, uh, and you know something was was different this time. You know something um, I don't know, man. You know it's like everything slowed down. There was there was no like the first time there was a big rush to get sober. It was like I had a make up for lost time. Uh, and this time, like, there was none of that. Now, I will say in passing, okay, I don't recommend anybody detoxing in, like, a 12-step room, okay? Yeah. For, <laughs> so that was my More people then. probably have than we think, but I think More probably have, yeah but, yeah. but I but I should throw that out there as a caveat. First of all, it's not safe. And, and mm-hmm. second of all, it's, it's, it's not effective. I mean, it's, it's rarely going to work, okay? Um, this, like I said, I, I um, even during you know during that year and a half after I was introduced to recovery and then before I got sober this time, I was I was sticking to my foundation. Like I was, you know, I would be on all this stuff and I would be praying, <laughs> like I would be reading, you know, the, you know, these same spiritual books. It, it was like part of me knew that the only chance that I would, it was like this exact split, you know, where like the drugs had control, but then there was a part of me. I was trying to be saved by some outside force. Uh, and it's like these two things were just fighting each other. But yeah, so I, um, I was doing that that entire time, I guess is what I was saying. I remembered also from, from pharmacy school, okay, that, that, you know, we learned that the brain and the body of a recovering addict alcoholic was severely nutrient deficient. And like they talked about studies where nutritional repair, when it's done alongside a stable foundation of sobriety, you know, can have incredible responses. You know, so I, I ended up getting in, in contact, you know, with a local doctor who, who, who is familiar uh, with addiction medicine. That's, you know, it's kind of his thing. And, and, and kind of him and I sort of, you know, attacked this with, uh, um, um, together, you know, and, 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 and little by little, now I'm talking about like amino acid supplements, vitamins, minerals, stuff like that. You know, no, right, right. um, that route, you know, because I we're not I, talking about suboxone and methadone. And, I'm not talking yeah. about pharmaceuticals. Yeah, you know, not right, my right, right. I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about you know carefully planned out vitamin therapy, essentially. Um, and then little by little, you know, I, I I felt well enough, long enough to start taking all of the other actions that have kept me on the beam of sobriety. Um, I think that the biggest myth in addiction recovery is that you can stop using drugs and that things will just instantly start getting wonderful. 
Oh gosh, yeah. it's so true, man. They just—if I can just remove the drugs and alcohol, everything will be perfect. And it's like, everything will be perfect. No, your health, your thinking, your habits, your—yeah, man, I couldn't agree more. And I say that to these guys. I say, if that were the case, everybody would need detox once. There would be nobody. You know, this is my fifth time in rehab. This is my thirteenth detox. You know, gosh, none I know of that. people that have been to like twenty-five rehabs. Right. All you need is one. You you detox yourself. As soon as you get to 30 days, you're completely done. And then, great, go go live a wonderful life for the next 55 years. You know, um, unfortunately, that's that's you know, it's not how it works. But it is amazing that so many people still believe that. Um, uh, and, and that is one of my that's one of my little pet peeves. With um, I just got into social media not not too long ago. You know, like in the past year, I kind of. I kind of held myself out of that intentionally, I, um, but I've been getting into that, and I do feel like there's this whole push where it's like you get sober and everything just gets remarkable because you're not drinking, you know, for example. And uh, I don't know what kind of, you know, effect that's having, but I can't believe that it is a positive one overall, overall, you know. I think that there's a place, of course, it, it needs to be positivity, you know, but just the idea that the not drinking alone, for example, or the not, because if that were the case, you would have done that 15 years ago. Oh, gosh. Know? I would have stopped when I was 15, and I started totally. when I was 13. <laughs> exactly right. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. Um, so that false belief, by the way, is not just wrong, you know, but I do think it's harmful. What happens is that I see a lot is somebody gets a few months sober and they start feeling better. And then they hit like a little trough in their sobriety, okay? So maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's at four months or five months or something. Um, and then they they panic, okay? They're getting anxious and you know, maybe there's some kind of outside stressor that sort of triggered it. or Maybe, you know, something else is going on. Or maybe it's just a little bit of like natural depression that they're kind of not used to handling. Um, but they panic, you know, thinking something is wrong. And a lot of times this is when all kinds of major changes start happening and the major, you know, maybe the person gets kind of sucked back into their addictive deal. Um, and what I always want to say is, no, 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 you know, it's not that anything is wrong. You just need to keep going at this point. Um, mm-hmm. There's a few people that ride that pink cloud, you know, like over the first year or so. Uh, yeah, I see it once in a while. But, you know, for the most part, and especially if it's not your very first time trying to get sober, for the most part, I mean, it's, it is grueling. It is absolutely grueling. That's what it was for me. There was no pink cloud. Uh, there was no, you know, there was the very, very first time. I, you know, like I remember some feelings of like, oh, my God, I never thought I could get off this stuff. Um, you know, but then once I went back to it, there was, there was none of that at all. Um, and I think that that's where faith comes in, you know, faith that this will get better. Um, I can't see how it's going to get better. I don't understand how it's going to get better. My mind is telling me, you're screwed. You know, things are going to be horrible for the rest of your life. But I have this faith that, no, no, no. I see that my mind is saying that, but that's wrong. And if, the, and if I just hang on to this path, if I keep walking down this path long enough and making small little changes here and there, um, uh, things will get better for me. Um, Absolutely. Anyway. Let, let me ask you this along those lines real, real quick. What, where was that introduced? Was there seeds planted in that when you were a child? Was that introduced by a sponsor, a friend? Like, where did the faith aspect – because I couldn't agree more. And mine, 
I, I had some pink cloud, absolutely. Um, but then also it's like you realize just because I'm queen and sober doesn't mean that life just starts going perfectly. It doesn't work like that. You got to learn how to apply those life skills on a daily basis and grow and get healthier. Like the way you're describing it, it's I, I, I've just seen it's it's so common, it's unbelievable. The part of just like learning how to be mature and grow and apply life skills and relational skills and everything. But the faith part is really for me was the radical transformation as well. That's when things really started changing. But for you, where like where was that seed planted? Where where was that introduction made? So for me, it was with my first sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still sober. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think he's got ten years sober now. Um, awesome. But he was, uh, oh God, he was he was so well, was is so big into that. You know, just so big into the spirituality component as that is the backbone, and then everything else you know kind of pieces into that. But if you don't have right. that piece in place, uh. You know, the, the, then you're building your house on sand. You know, the old uh, that's that was his, and 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 that really got, you know, because a lot of times, especially the first time you're introduced into recovery, I mean, you're getting very vulnerable, impressionable people. You know, so these mm-hmm. people, and and um, there is a major power discrepancy between somebody who has sober time and somebody who's you know five days into an opiate detox. Okay, one person. And it's like, what gets said to that person at that time is, uh, man, I mean, you got to be, that's why there is a responsibility that when you're talking to new people, you know, there's a responsibility to, 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 to bring forth the message as honestly and directly as possible. Absolutely. Um, You know, cause, cause man, you can do some damage if you, if you, you know, plant the wrong seed, for example, and then that kind of. So I, that's why I'm, I'm, I am so forever grateful for these guys, um, for these men that, that – and, and just introduced me to these books. I mean, you know, because, again, I was not picking my own book, so I had to get pointed to, to certain books. And, and it just mm-hmm. opened up my eyes for the first time. And, it was, uh, um, and it's just gone on like that. I mean, I've, I've read a book a week since I've been sober. I've, I have hundreds of books in my little bookshelf next to my bed, and, and they're all – so important to me and I, and I that's awesome uh, i wish i could I love keep them. that pace i'm i'm a huge reader too i love reading i read a lot but i'd be lying if i said i read a book a week yeah yeah <laughs> uh, you know so i'll tell you you know social media has actually hurt that like a little bit um one of my big things a big thing is is uh is that the phone has to go off at a certain point every night and 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 there are times where i where i struggle with that um, uh, yeah, I can relate to that for sure. Especially, um, yeah, well, I can, I can just relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so I was so interested, you know, so I'll, I'll go back. I, I was so interested in the supplements. Okay. And the understanding mm-hmm. that, that this is an area of recovery that almost invariably gets missed. Um, that I, you know, I, I end up buying and reading every book and journal article that I could get my hands on and, I got certified as a nutritional supplements advisor just to kind of make that niche area official. Um, and look, nutritional repair, you know, through supplementation by itself would work about as well as any other area of addiction treatment by itself, um, which is to say it wouldn't work well at all, you know. But when it gets added to a strong foundation of recovery, 
that's what I mean. It sometimes makes all the difference. Um, you know, I, I also realized that most people wouldn't have access to or to be able to afford long-term treatment, okay, with somebody knowledgeable and credentialed in this area. So that's why I started Reaction Recovery. Um, you know, so kind of you and I got, got, got kind of paired up on, on, on social media, and I'm, and I'm there mm-hmm. through Reaction Recovery, um, which at its core is an online recovery consultation service that's, that's you know, designed like an over-the-counter pharmacy consult, okay, essentially. Um, you know, it's quick. It's 30 minutes, 45 minutes, max 60 minutes. Uh, we kind of evaluate that you know, chief physiological complaint. And right now, okay, we look at everything that's currently being taken, the whole gamut. Okay, so kind of just like you'd be coming in asking for uh, a cough and cold recommendation, and we have to look at, you know, what medications you're taking, what herbals you're taking, what you know, vitamin supplements, amino acids. We sort of look at that what your average daily habits are, okay, what you're eating, how you're sleeping, if you're exercising, um, and then we determine a nutritional supplement regimen that might be appropriate. Um, now, now, everybody that I talk with um, also follows me on, you know, either, the, you know, they, they kind of follow it alongside the website or, or, or I'm on Facebook or Instagram. Um, so afterwards, I don't just say, okay, you know, have a great life. I, I, I follow up with these people constantly, you know, because it, it, is, it is designed to be something, just something extra, uh, uh, inexpensive, quick, and accessible. That's, that's kind of the whole idea, okay? There's not, you know, kind of like a long, drawn-out deal with it. And that's what people, uh, you know, th- there is a group of people that have seemed to appreciate that. Um, and then I, you know, stick with them. You know, I talk to them and they talk to me and, and I have relationships with these people and, and it's, and it's pretty neat. Um, but it's all sort of based around this basic idea of, do you have a stable recovery routine in place? Um, you know, so if you go on my website, uh, uh, I'm not sure if you checked it out at all, but I've kind of written out what I consider to be the 12 daily rules for recovery. Okay. Things that you should be, you know, hitting each day to have the best shot at stabilizing the internal environment. Um, right. I saw something about this. Yeah. Let's yeah, rattle them off. Dude. People need to hear it. Uh, yeah. And so I've been paying close attention for, for years, you know, since I was first forced into treatment. And if someone is not actively working towards changing those daily habits, okay, those, those little repeatable things that we do every day, um, mm-hmm. there seems to be this magnetic pull back into the addictive process, you know, regardless how, how sincerely you want to be sober. You know, I've, I've met many good people, better people than myself, who, who, who leave a rehab with tears of sincerity rolling down their cheeks, and they really wanted, uh, you know, but if they don't start cleaning up those habits and behaviors, it probably ain't happening for you, you know, so. Probably is even putting it lightly. It's. I agree. It's it's yeah. It's the daily. It's the daily disciplines that bring about the big changes. It's I couldn't agree more. So, yeah, so what an appropriate supplement regimen is intending to do, okay, from my perspective, is to lift those immediate clouds of fog and apathy, correct the obvious imbalances, and and give you the motivation and energy to start taking the real actions that will eventually save your life. Um, that's the whole idea of it. You know, it's not um, there's. 
There's not a single part of me that believes that any one area of addiction treatment is the end-all, cure-all of this thing. I, I, I believe that you know, addiction is unbelievably complex, more so than any of us can possibly imagine. Um, and I think that all these parts have to kind of come together just to give us a chance, you know, because the numbers and the statistics are not on our side, right? I mean, no, any... not that. Don't don't try and get your hope from the statistics. <laughs> oh God, Jesus! I mean, that's going to make you think. Don't even try. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but let, you know, let I me don't... say this: I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more, man. We we had a quick conversation the other day on the phone too, and we were talking about it. And it's like there are so many people that just don't understand. There's so many different components to this as you said there's you know if you deplete your body you've been drinking alcohol or doing drugs for that long it affects your kidneys your liver your heart your it affects these things and just the removal you know you're describing it perfectly just the removal of the drugs and alcohol everything's not magically back to perfect it just doesn't work like that mm-hmm. and our body has to get back on page and our you know get detoxed and um, get the get get certain things out of our body, and when it's once that's gone, that's just the beginning. Mm. Then you actually have some clarity and energy to start doing the spiritual work and the mental and physical stuff. So I mean, I love the way you're describing it, man. I love the way you're describing it. And this component right here, I feel like is not talked about enough, to be honest. I agree. I agree. I think it's an area that gets missed, and I don't think that we're at a place right now that we have the luxury to be missing anything, I guess is my point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from. I, I don't know, you know if we have much time to, you know, for me to get into the, the 12 rules. You can always go on the website, reactionrecovery.com. Uh, you know, I kind of wrote them all out. You know, well, I got, well, how about this, man? Why, why, don't we, why, don't we, why don't we jump back on another podcast soon and we can chat a bit more about it? Because I would just – I feel like, you know, maybe there's a, a part two due to this because I just feel like um, it really is a big deal. I've noticed for me just, you know, with changing diet stuff and taking the the way you described it, when I started getting the right um, nutrients, vitamins, whatever in my body, it put me in a place to actually start healthy effectively and with a clear approach in mind, start doing the other work that needed to be done that, Taking the vitamins just magically fix me, and I'm cured from addiction. But it does put somebody in a place to have much more energy and clarity to begin to do the work that keeps them in recovery. That's exactly right. That's it right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just you just you know summed it up. It's uh, it's awesome, man. Well, let me ask you this, man. Um, would you be up for coming? I'm putting you on the spot here, you know. So <laughs> you want to you want to jump back on on another podcast and and share a little bit more about uh, what you're doing, maybe a little bit more depth, and talk about these twelve these twelve rules or um, points that people need in recovery. Would you be up for uh, it? Of course, yeah, I would, I would love it. I, I, had a, I had a good time, you know, right now talking to you. Yeah, I know. I would love to kind of kick them you know, around with you too. You can you can give me your feedback and you know what Absolutely. you've uh, kind of seen through your experience and uh, you know, see if you agree, disagree. If you would have added some other ones. Yeah, man, I would. I would love to, man. I want to let me let me put this whole thing in a nutshell real quick. So we're talking about someone born in a good home, right? Which is very common these days. Like you, you don't need to be born in a in the trap house to fall into addiction these days. It's just a different world we live in. 
1920, the poisonous love affair starts, launches you into the world of pharmacy, overseeing pharmacies, having a wonderful job, amazing. <laughs> I'm laughing now because it's funny now. It definitely wasn't funny at the time. But it's <laughs> it takes some time to get the levity into the situation. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and then I just, but, you know, most of all, like, I just love how God can take anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Anything and flip it for good. Mm. Anything. Now you've literally... You're in a place now where the entire thing you do is help people still get healthy, and it's specific to recovery. I mean, it's just such a beautiful transformation. It's just like God just is holding you like a trophy of grace, man. It's just wow, beautiful. Man, I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. Let me ask Thank you this: you. we wrap up. Yeah, you're you're welcome, man. It's it's the truth, dude. Because it's you said it while we were talking, man. Addiction, you know, stepping into recovery is. It ain't no joke, dude. That's what, no, you know, part of. No, there, no I think joke. there's a lot of components. A lot of conversations could be had. There's, it's it's hard work, and a lot of people don't understand. There's the health part, and the mental part, and the physical part, and the spiritual part. That you know, there's a lot of things that come into play. But even even when you got a clear perspective around the right people to help you through that, it's still, it's work, man. It's work. Mm. Um, let me ask you this: what What would you say to the person? in your shoes eight years ago. Maybe it's a different addiction. Maybe it's a different set of circumstances. They're not a pharmacist or whatever. What would you say though to the to the person, you know, if you had if you had a one minute little window to plant a seed in their heart, man, what what would you say to that person who's stuck in that spot, who's maybe holding their you know, thinking the same thing, like why of all the people did um you know, my kid gets stuck with me, the worst person on the planet. And there's such that desperation and dark hole. Um, what's some of the feedback? What's the seed you plant in their heart, man? You know, I would say first, um, you you do not have to take this to the to the bitter end. You don't have to yeah, do that. That's good. Um, a lot of people do. A lot of people are six feet under because of that. Mm-hmm. Um and I would say that if I have seen the most horrific, I've heard the most horrific stories, seen the most horrific cases recovered to good purpose. Um, and if God is able to do that to them, he's certainly able to do that with you. Uh, uh, you know, we do recover and you will recover. Yeah, man, that's good. So. <clears throat> It's true, and it's those that little window of time, you know, where, like you said, in early recovery, or people at their lowest, where they are, there's there's these small windows where they are receptive, yeah. and they are like, oh, it's so bad, I I really do need help. Mm. And it's in those moments, you know, and it is crucial we plant the right seeds, man. So, well. Look, dude, we're gonna we're gonna have to have you back on. We're just gonna have to have you back on. <laughs> I would, I would, I would love to. <laughs> we'll do it, man. And uh, I just, I want to thank you for being open and honest, and thanking you for what you're doing. Uh, maybe next time too, you can just get into some of the some of the stuff you're seeing in your area and some of the stories of people recovering and whatnot. Cause we can never hear too much of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have some good ones. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, and how can people? So you mentioned it a little bit, but. Uh, say it just more specifically one time. If someone wants to follow you on 
Instagram, Facebook, your website. How do they how do they reach you? Yeah, so I'm um you could the the easiest way is to log on to my website, www.reactionrecovery.com, all all one word. Um yeah, or you can follow me at Reaction Recovery um on Facebook or on Instagram. Um yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pretty active on, on both of those. Uh my phone number's on there and my email's on there, and, you know. I'm accessible. I'm available. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Recovering Reality Podcast. If you're interested in recovery coaching, please reach out to us. Get plugged into a free 20-minute session so we can get you on the road to transformation. If nothing changes, then nothing changes. You can start a brand new life starting today. Look forward to hearing from you guys. Thanks for joining us.